You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under the bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father that is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until it's accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. So in these weeks of the season of Epiphany, we've been reading some of the teachings about those who follow Christ and what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. We've talked about making that choice, and today we get into a little bit of what the character of that call looks like and the nature of that call. And to fully grasp the impact of what we hear Jesus saying today, I think it's helpful to know that Jesus has just preached the sermon that you have heard called the Beatitudes. In fact, this is that continuation of that very sermon, if you were to ask me. Now, in the Beatitudes, if you're familiar with those, you remember that Jesus told those who were considered second fiddle in the world, we're going to be considered first in the kingdom of God. He said things like, those who are hopeless, you are going to have a part in the kingdom. He said, people who are happy are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who show mercy, and because they themselves will receive mercy, being merciful themselves. And there's a litany of other things there. But I want to offer that those were not mere expressions of, of general ethical rules, and they're not motivational comments. His followers had a lot of reasons to feel like second-class citizens of the world. They had many good reasons to feel defeated or even angry for which the way the world was treating them. One reason, as I've mentioned a couple of times over the last few weeks, that they were occupied by Rome, Israel's land, their whole, the, the sacred land of Israel. And Jesus wanted these people to see that those of you who are being oppressed, the day will come when you will be freed. You will be redeemed. Israel had been occupied land since the Babylonian exile. And even if they were in their, the land of their ancestors, physically returned to Jerusalem, the exile continued because the land and the city and even the temple were ruled by secular powers, you might say. And this led to what was an often debated topic of the day. It was an important political and religious question that were asked because of this reality. 
One of those being, how can it be that, that God's holy city, Jerusalem, and the temple, how can it be that they're occupied? What does this say about God's relationship with us? What does God want us to do because this is the case? And how does God want us to respond to the oppression and the occupation that we know? As you might imagine, the world is never short of ideas on how to answer such questions. Each religious faction had their own answers. Some called for collaboration, like the Sadducees. Go along to get along. Don't make things worse. Others desired to take up weapons and fight the empire like the zealots. Pharisees perhaps favored the latter. However, when Jesus answers such questions, when Jesus preached the Beatitudes, when he talks about being salt and light in what can be a dark and bitter world, Jesus has a very different response. In part, the Beatitudes answer the question. It provides a promise that the better day will come for those who are second fiddle in the world. But it continues. And these verses about salt and light have a lot to say about how we live in the world, how we live in our struggles until that day of freedom comes. How do we carry ourselves in high anxious times? How do we carry ourselves when we are oppressed? Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. And he means that disciples need to have a distinctive willingness, a distinctive way that brings goodness to the world. Forgetting this, not doing this, does nothing but to uphold the status quo. So, unlike many in the world, Jesus is saying, value those who are dispossessed. Care for those who suffer. Seek justice, show mercy, have integrity, be peacemakers, stand up for what you believe, but love and pray for your enemies. Do not seek retribution. Seek reconciliation. Much the same in this second metaphor calling us to be light of the world, we're to live as a bright and as a gathered people. Now, light, we know, has the help, helps us see things. It reveals colors. It helps vegetation to grow, and it provides solar power even. So as disciples, you and me, we have a primary purpose of being a mirror that refracts the love of God. And this light is to shine in our living and it's to shine so that all people, all nations, can know of God's justice and mercy because we live in justice and mercy. And for those who do not live as salt and light, Jesus makes clear of the consequences that come with that. Jesus says, you will not, you cannot enter the kingdom. As the late Rachel Held Evans once wrote, it is clear that God wants us to see that if we are to, wor are to worship God, that we're going to have to learn to care about what God cares about and who God cares about. If not, we cannot. Now this might sound like Jesus is preaching something of, a, of work righteousness here, as if our good works is what gets us into the kingdom. That is not the case. 
What he's actually doing here is drawing a more complete image of salt and light and what he means by that. In short, when we choose, choose not to be salt and light, we're not kept from the kingdom. Instead, we exclude ourselves from living in the kingdom that is with us now. The Gospel of John helps us see this as well. John says, Jesus says, If everyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Yet, and however, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. It's a bit of a circular explanation, I know. But in general, it's like having a door open to us that we choose not to walk through. We simply cannot follow Christ. We cannot enter into Christ and choose not to be salt and choose not to be light. Before his death, someone asked the preacher and writer Eugene Peterson, if you knew you were preaching your very last sermon, what would you preach about? He replied quickly, as I understand it, I think I would want to talk about things that are immediate and ordinary. In the kind of world we live in, the primary way that I can get people to be aware of God is to say, who are you going to have breakfast with tomorrow? And how are you going to treat them? In my last sermon, he said, I guess I would want to say, go home and be good to your spouse. Treat your children with respect. Do a good job at work. I've heard that quote before, and every time I hear it, it just strikes me the simplicity of it, the beauty of it. If we all followed that advice, my, what a world. But also, it reminds me of the significant challenge of it. There are a lot of things that want to contribute to the darkness of the world. And many of them are out of our control. It can be hard some days to see things that do harm, that bring that bring harm and and that benefit from harm and keep your spirits up. I can think of a few days this has been true for me. I'm sure you can too. However, that we are still asked to live a life seasoned with love. There's something almost defiant about it. There's something that says, I refuse to let the darkness of the world conquer me. I will live as light today. We can all and always take time to listen well. We can always give someone a break for the mistake they made. We can always offer a kind word at the timely moment when we know someone needs it. Yes, there are times when the darkness, the challenges that we face, and for those who live occupied lives, that it gets the best of us. Simplicity is not always easy. There are days when things like listening well take a lot of effort. And I think about those that Jesus ministered to. They knew how hard life was. And even today, in the Holy Land itself, For some, just getting to work includes body checks and ID checks. 
It can take hours to get somewhere where you and I could walk in, in 10 minutes some days. I have never lived under such a reality. Many in our world do. So for those who live oppressed, those who are being occupied, can you imagine how exhausting it is? Jesus imagined. Jesus knew. So, he called for his folks to live in a way that let their light shine for the world anyway. He did not call them to keep the status quo. He did not call them to raise up arms. He called them to live as kingdom people now. And as if the kingdom were here. And Jesus seemed to think that this kind of life, this way of life was rare. He seemed to think that this was hard to see, and him using salt as a metaphor might tell us that. You see, for us, salt is a very inexpensive thing. For just a handful of dollars, we can buy salt to cook with, we can add salt to water to soften it. Heck, you can use just a, a really a minimal amount to, to clean, keep a whole pool clean. We use thousands of pounds of salt to pour on our roads and our bridges to keep them from being icy today. But in biblical times, salt was much rarer, hard to come by. It was a precious commodity, way more valuable than you and I might understand. Now that means, I believe, that when Jesus talks about a salt-like life, he's talking about a way of life that was indeed rare to be seen, hard to see, sometimes hard to live into. But he also knew that the smallest amount makes the biggest difference. story is told about a teacher who wanted to make cookies with her sixth grade class. They carefully measured the flour, creamed the butter, mixed in chocolate chips and, and nuts. And you know school children, they all wanted to lick the spoon, they wanted to lick the batter, but the teacher said, no, hold off, nobody taste it. We're all going to take a bite at the same time to see how good, when, when, and we're all going to taste how good this is together. That way they could all share in the joy of the moment. So cookies are made, put in the oven. 20 minutes later, they came out. Everyone's excited, anticipating his building. The whole school smelled like chocolate chip cookies. Now, these weren't small, scrawny cookies. These were meals in and of themselves. Great, big, golden, beautiful chocolate chips. Finally, the cookies cooled, and everybody had their cookie in their hand. They're going to count down. Three, two, one, take a bite. And immediately, yuck! Ugh. Everybody started spitting their cookies out, teachers included. They tasted so bad that none of them were edible. They tested every batch, and the outcome was the same across the board. They were beside themselves. They could not figure out what happened. But maybe you've already figured it out. They looked at the recipe, and even though it called for just the smallest amount of salt, they left it out. And the truth is, you can't taste the sweet without the salt in the cookies. Likewise, we can't see the sweetness of the kingdom without the salt of the life it requires of us. Chocolate is only bitter without it. Our lives can easily be like those cookies if we let it be. The church, in using this analogy for me, is something of a salt shaker, you might say. Each of us, each of you and me, we are individual grains of salt. And just like adding the smallest measure to a cookie recipe, when we add even the smallest measure of love and grace from our lives together, it flavors the whole world. 
We are followers of Christ. We are to be salty in the way for which we live in the ways Jesus taught us to be so. So what does a salty life look like for you in the days ahead? Can you think of somewhere where the, the light of love and grace might shine in someone's day a little brighter than it was before? We are called to be the moral preservatives of the world. We're called to make for a better world. Yes, there are days where this goodness is hard to find, even within ourselves. But we do not have to look far, for that goodness is in you. That light of Christ is in you. And the invitation today is to let that shine. Thanks be to God. Amen.